Welcome to the Purple Political Breakdown. I am glad you are here and I'm glad you are listening to today's podcast episode. My mission in each and every one of these episodes is to really focus on the solutions to some of the biggest questions and most controversial topics going on in our current society. I feel like most of these conversations are not truly being discussed in a more logical and respectful manner due to the political toxicity that goes on with both the left and the right, both the Democrats and the Republicans. In this podcast, I don't care about any of that. I am focused on the solutions. I'm focused on bridging gaps. If you want to join me on this journey, if you want to discuss some of the most important topics, if you are tired of the political toxicity and negativity from both sides, please support this channel, share the podcast, and go to my website, www.purplepoliticalbreakdown.com. I appreciate the support. I'll continue to make content and hopefully we can start bridging these gaps and focusing on real issues going on in our world. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Purple Political Breakdown. How's you doing? How's your day been? We're back here. This is your boy, Riddell, your host, of course. And I got a two-part episode. This is episode one. Tune in next week or if you already listened to this, maybe after January ninth or eighth then this other episode should be out but it'll be a two-parter me talking about my political solutions that i came up with in the span of the podcast now the podcast although like like pilot episodes have been dropped when i was doing different things and it was going by a different name the trend with rtl faith bad name to be honest i should have done better but with that said i still had some interesting conversations This new iteration, the current iteration, is going to be the lasting iteration, the one that will change the way we engage with political discourse. And the political solutions that I have kind of come out of these conversations with are what I'm talking about today. So I'm going to do my political solutions the first half today, the next half next week, and you guys can see it all. And at the end of the year, every year, I'm going to collect all the solutions and read them out so we all can kind of see what we came up with after all these amazing conversations. So stay tuned for that. This is very good content. Let me know if you disagree with anything that I said. You can email me, comment, leave a review, or if you want to elaborate on your own kind of critiques or expanding on the idea that is being presented, you can do that as well. So with that said, let's dive right into it. I do have a review. So again, leave a review so you can get shouted out. But I didn't get the person's name, but they said, while I abandoned the political train many years ago, as it wasn't good for my mental health, I became a talk radio junkie. When I jumped off the wagon, I jumped into the self-improvement realm of podcasts and podcasting. I stumbled upon this podcast. The title and logo caught my attention. And so did some of the topics, so I gave it a listen, found it to be a very easy listening podcast without political views and opinions being shoved down my throat. The episode on hatred and gun violence I found to be extremely interesting. If you want a podcast different than your left or right wing bias, give this one a try. I do appreciate you. That's what we try to do here, of course, when it comes to these uh, conversations, and that's what we'll continue to try to do, of course. Political solutions without political bias is the motto. 
And we actually got like uh, business cards that we're going to start handing out next year, of course, as well. I've got some future plans, of course. Now, with that said, let's dive into it. First solution, I'm going to talk about the problem, talk about the solution, elaborate a little bit. And between me and you, this is like my third attempt doing this. Doing this. And it's it's kind of annoying because the first time, um, what was wrong the first? Oh, the audio. Well, actually, what was wrong the first time? Um, oh, it was just like all over the place and wasn't consistent. Second problem, audio and technical difficulties. So third time's the charm. Let's dive into it. First is social media use for the young. My stance is the upbringing of my generation of parents within the realm of social media equips them with a nuanced understanding of its diverse impacts, enabling us to steer the younger generation toward a balanced use of social platforms. As we integrate their insights, we can progressively refine our societal approach to social media, ensuring improved management and moderation for the benefit of future generations. In layman's term, social media can be very damaging for teens and young individuals. My generation and the generation um, a little bit before me, but mostly the one that grew up before social media and grew up with social media, understand its uh, default, understand its damage. So we got to kind of convince parents, uh, influence parents to kind of let them progressively grow into using social media understand the what they're trying what they're seeing all this the influx of information to help them kind of moderate their their perspective properly this is very important for young individuals growing up next is permless carry and the gun violence that may be occurring in a permless carry state my stance is to foster a safer society within a permless carry state it's essential to implement enhanced security measures in public squares Coupled with comprehensive gun education, stringent background checks for both public and private purchases, and the establishment of a national registry. Uh, I think these are all very important. In a permitless carry state, there's no evidence that gun violence actually goes down. And with the inability to ensure that the best individuals are having guns, making a safer environment and more knowledgeable environment is the best case scenario. Next, we got my thoughts on college and uh, kind of the growing conversation regarding college nowadays versus whether or not you should go after high school. My stance is attending college becomes imperative primarily for specialized fields. For those uncertain, taking time to explore their passions is crucial. Online courses and hands-on experience offer viable alternatives to traditional education. Ensuring free access to community college is pivotal, and some advocate extending this support to low-tier institutions as well. I'm big for this. I think college, not I don't believe college is a scam, but I think the value of college nowadays is questionable. Specialties like lawyers and doctors, self-explanatory. But if you're uncertain or if the field you are about to go in or something you can learn on your own or with a lesser degree or lesser education that is more cost affordable, you need to explore those opportunities. And I'm a big advocate for that. Next, in regards to the controversial conversation referencing abortion, whether or not abortion should be allowed versus not allowed, here's my stance. 
I believe it's crucial to establish clear regulations regarding abortion in our country, setting a defined time frame within which it's permissible. For me, around 12 weeks, coinciding with the emergence of distinct human characteristics in the fetus, is a good time frame that we all, for the most part, should be able to agree with. Additionally, I find the act of dehumanizing a fetus to rationalize actions is both morally unacceptable and a form of justification for the actions that you're about to commit. Anytime I see someone say fetus is not a human, it's just trying to change the conversation, alleviate themselves from any type of wrongful action based on what they're doing. Whether or not it's morally clear that the value of a fetus is necessary to be treated the same as like a value of a child that is out of the womb is a different conversation. But I don't think all human life is necessarily equal. But we can't discount that it's still human life. Next is systematic racism. Does it currently exist in society? I know there's a lot of hot button conversation in regards to that. My stance is the roots of systematic racism stem from historical prejudices and animosity towards black individuals, which persists in some individuals within the system. However, I don't perceive current institutions as inherently anti-black or systematically racist, yet acknowledge that perceptions and stereotypes about black people can subtly, subtly if influence biased attitudes within these systems. In layman's terms, yes, systematic racism did exist. It has affected our current institutions. Do I think it inherently exists now? No, not necessarily. Do I think people can have potential biases and maybe even be racist as an individual towards black people? Of course. No need to be ignorant about that. So that's kind of the basics, uh, basics of what I said. Next is in regards to mass shootings and trying to deal with the mass shooting problem we have, especially to in regards to the specific individuals. I believe that addressing mass shootings primarily involves addressing mental health concerns within homes. Implementing routine mental health assessments can help mitigate potential risk. Additionally, ensuring robust security measures in schools is an essential step towards safeguarding communities. Pretty simple in terms of the mental health aspect. Um, and I don't see any logical anti-reason or counter-argument on schools that, per that are enclosed with all of our youth of America not having security. I don't see the counter-argument for that, to be honest. Next, I talked about Russia and Ukraine and my opinions regarding that situation. My stance is we shouldn't allow a precedent of invading other countries, especially Russia, who could invade a potential U.S. allies in the Baltics. This could also influence China, which is a potential enemy as well, to take action and invade Taiwan, very similar situation as Russia and Ukraine, which is a U.S. ally and a part of NATO. So we just don't want further conflict that can extend to a world war. And more importantly, we don't want our enemies gaining more influence and power over us. 
Next is the American divide in the modern era. Is it getting worse? Is it as bad as it's ever been? And how do we fix it moving forward? For me, as traditional family values seem to diminish, it becomes imperative to cultivate them through community involvement, embracing cultural or religious aspects, and broadening perspectives via diverse interactions. Schools ought to incentivize meaningful conversations and mutual understanding as part of their system. Social media platforms like Twitter slash X should transform into a virtual public square, prioritizing nuanced nuanced discourse and fostering a culture of constructive public conversation. A lot of this starts at a very, very much individual level. Changing our culture and identity starts on a lot of different levels, such as schools, such as the family, the home, and the social media platforms that these individuals frequent. Making it more conducive to understanding, knowledge, perspective, growth and experience, and proper nuance in the discussions being allowed will be huge in in cultivating a stronger American identity and more willingness to engage with others, especially those people who vehemently disagree with us ideologically. Next is regarding the red pill. One statement, very, very clear. The red pill community is hypocritical and a scam. I don't believe in the community. I believe in helping men um, in in, in a way in terms of helping them understand how to navigate the dating sphere nowadays. I'm a big advocate for that, of course. But what the Red Pill community has been preaching to young men has been ridiculous. And that's my opinion. Next is free speech on social media. Does free speech protect? So, uh, does, is free speech protected on social media is the best way I could put it. My thing is, although I firmly support free speech as a fundamental American right, it's crucial to acknowledge that it doesn't protect actions involving violence, incitement to illegal activities, or obscenity. These infractions unequivocally warrant bans. Yet the realm of slurs, hate speech, and harassment is more intricate. While everyone should have the freedom to express their ideas in our marketplace of thoughts, We must collectively establish reasonable standards that we all agree upon as harmful. I don't advocate immediate bans for these actions, but rather a form of consequence for their wrongdoings. The process of administering this uh, consequence should be transparent and accessible to the public. This should be pretty self-explanatory. There's certain speech we should ban. And there's more questionable ones, but at least make the punishment clear to the people, to the public, and understand how you're doing it, why you're doing it, and how long or how big the punishment is, is very important as well. Next is affirmative action. Should it exist in the education space and the workplace? I think this is a very important conversation, and I wanted to establish some parameters. So this is what I said. The initial intent was to provide equitable opportunities for success in minority and low-income communities. 
So its implementation had good cause. However, this initiative went awry by overly focusing on placement targets, often placing individuals in environments for which they were unqualified solely based on race. Addressing this issue remains crucial to ensure equal opportunities for all. Potential solutions might involve allocating intentional spots for minorities and low-income individuals who meet specific merit-based thresholds. Moreover, within the workplace, affirmative action should primarily focus on entry-level positions rather than mid- to high-level ones when it comes down to it. we got to recognize that affirmative action is trying to establish a way for everyone to get the opportunity, of course, but get the opportunity in the most fair way. Some people start here and some people start here. Both have the opportunity, but who's going to get them f- get there first? We got to understand that. Next is in reference to government secrets. The big one that the people on the right, I'm sure, hate. Should government secrets be kept from the people? You may not like my answer, but this is this is what I think. Balancing between transparency and peace. I often find that allowing individuals to live in serene unawareness is sometimes the wisest path. A leader's duty is to foster the optimal society for their people, and failure to do so should prompt a change in leadership. Yes, it's common for people to lack the broad perspective to grasp the world's harsh realities and to foresee the consequences of their actions. While it varies case by case, overall, governmental discretion in disclosing information, particularly when it could endanger the nation, remains crucial for collective security. Very, very, very simply, the public sometimes can't handle the information, and sometimes a secret is best to keep it from the wrong hands. Best, simplest way I can put it. Next, in regards to welfare, whether or not it's destroying the uh, low-income communities, how should we handle welfare? The concept of welfare holds significant value as our government shoulders the responsibility of aiding its citizens, particularly the underprivileged. Nevertheless, doubts arise regarding the effectiveness of our current system, especially considering the expanding poverty demographic. I advocate for transitioning these programs to the state level for better management and adhering to the public far better, of course. Additionally, welfare programs should not encourage single motherhood. Benefits allocated should be equitable regardless of family structure, ensuring parity between individuals and families. Yes, I get it's harder in terms of income for a single mother, but there should be a more efficient way to ensure that there's no potential incentive for maybe a woman or even a father, but mostly a woman, to not try to create the family in lieu of the benefits that they're receiving, of course. Next is the role of parents. How should we, or what exactly is the role of parents in society? For me, Navigating parenthood amidst modern society's complexities possesses considerable challenges. Numerous parents grapple with defining the values to impart, especially when not aligned with specific cultural or religious frameworks. 
It's pivotal for parents to perceive having children as not just bringing new life, but as an extension of their own identity and their own purpose. Embracing some fun foundational principles in parenting includes fostering critical thinking abilities, exposing children to diverse experiences and cultures for expanding perspectives, encouraging active engagement with society to understand the world, and instilling compassion and kindness as fundamental virtues. Yes, being a parent is hard, but we also got to recognize that, in my opinion, it should be the most important thing you do in your life once you become a parent. And you should treat it as such. Freedom versus safety. Which is more valuable in society? These two elements stand as crucial pillars for both individuals and society. Yet the paradox lies in the fact that increased freedom might imply less safety while heightened safety might mean a compromise in freedom. It's a delicate tongue of war where achieving a healthy equilibrium between the two is essential to navigate a harmonious society. As technology advances, society tends toward increased safety, sparking a compelling argument favoring safety's overarching benefits in the long run. We got to recognize that, yes, both are valuable and important for the human experience in a peaceful society. And I think social media and technology is allowing us more freedoms, but in part, we should also have more safety in addition to it. Arguably more safety. A secure society, in my opinion, is a peaceful one. We don't want them to go too far to infringe on our freedom, our rights, and our liberties. But we got to understand that being free does not take precedent over the safety of those we care about. Next is in reference to slurs, whether or not it's necessary for society. I firmly believe that slurs hold minimal to no significance and offer little value. Using cultural change or cultural significance within poor communities to justify the meaning of such words is a weak argument and doesn't bolster their stance at all. It simply underscores the use of slurs for shock value without contributing to meaningful discourse. It's imperative to guide people towards letting go of these words laden with a painful history and encourage the expansion of their vocabulary. Very, very important. Like, yes, you may slip up here and there depending on emotional moments, but your vocabulary doesn't need to consist of slurs. It doesn't. And it doesn't put you in situations where People who deem the slurs as common vernacular, utilizing it the same way, it, it alleviates that potential friction or misunderstanding. It alleviates a, a idea that there's gatekeeping in our community due to our keeping of certain terminology, but not allowing other people to use it. I just don't think the value of slurs holds out. I think people just want to say it to be cringe or to be edgy. 
that's all I got for part one of my political, cultural, social, my solutions for the purple political breakdown. Uh, stay tuned for part two that will be coming up uh, next week. I do hope you guys enjoyed. Again, I do want to reiterate, if you want to, or if you disagree, if you want to expand, if you want to flush out the solutions, feel free. These are important because I don't think a lot of conversation I hear nowadays are focused on a path forward. It's always focused on a path of resistance where people on the left are trying to resist people on the right in terms of their agenda and vice versa when it comes to the right and the left. Compromise and solutions are the only way forward. Revolution will destroy our society. So come up with solutions and let's try to implement them in our society. Stay tuned for part two. Appreciate you. Rate it five stars. Comment. Subscribe. Y'all have a good one. Take care. And peace. Well, check it out, y'all. We got what you need. We're all living in apartments, condos, vans. Well, dude, even you can have a studio. A studio in a box. Yes, we can help you with that right here at Blind Knowledge. We work on your budget, and we figure out your measurements. We'll get you the best sound for the best price. Let me know, 877-237-1143, or at blindknowledge.com. Yep. Yeah.